everybody and welcome back to what would the smart party do uh in the latest episode uh, we've taken a question from one of our loyal listeners uh, mr ralph lovegrove hi ralph if you're listening thank you for your question um my, today myself and gaz are going to discuss bringing parties together getting the adventurer group together what systems make it work which ones get in the way um, and some of our anecdotes from like probably con games of the past where we've had some good team play happening and maybe some examples of it not happening too so hello Gaz good evening how you doing hello Baz yeah not bad good to be back yeah as always so um party play groups of adventurers I, I call it party play that's kind of showing my age there that's a 1970s thing um I don't think outside D&D you call it a party but maybe you do I don't know what do you call a group of PCs in your games trouble they're like herding <laughs> He's here cats all week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's funny isn't it because we call ourselves the smart party and that's based on a party of adventurers but I don't know whether newer players actually understand that phrase or, or identify with it perhaps but you've got a group of PCs that go together don't you um, I think it's quite funny doing a bit of history lessons as we like to if you think back to mm. some of the, the earlier games there was a lot of stuff uh, like Early Legend of the Fire Rings, for example, I think has the twenty questions in it, which is you know ask yourself these twenty questions about your your character. But then weirdly, the, there wasn't really much to say. And how do you know Jeff to your left or Dave to your right? It was really just trying to draw out information about one character for that particular player without any attempt to knit any of it together. And even then, I think, and still to this day, I find it quite difficult with some groups that you, you ask them some questions and they just give you a a really sort of like quick default answer and don't want to put any kind of depth into it. So I think it's quite interesting that some of the newer games have started to actually try and weave that into the mechanics of a game to make players bond the characters together in some way. So if we take one example, I think, or well, I'll give you several examples, but one game that probably does it quite well is, is anything that's got some kind of team or mission or structure. So if you think of stuff like Slay Industries, where you're all a gang of operatives who have to go out on these missions together. Godlike, where you're all one squad of these super soldiers. Things like Mouse Guard, where it's the, the guys against the environment. All those sort of games do give you some kind of uh, push to be together and work as a team, because you've got some common enemy or common goal. That still doesn't stop someone in the group being a dick, though. Um, so, what can you think of any examples that, that sort of guide on that as well, Baz? Or is it more just, um, do, we, do we just rely on players getting it rather than uh, games explicitly telling people what to do well it's like most things and i guess one of my old sayings is it's only a problem if it's a problem so i don't know how many games of dnd i've i've started and you've got a thief a magic user a fighter and a cleric all walk into a bar which is the start of a great gag and usually the start of a 30 level campaign if you do it right and, and it kind of doesn't really matter why they're together at that point i've often asked as dm or gm in games you know so what is it that's what's special about your group how do you know each other chuck out a couple of breadcrumbs like maybe some of you are related or there's a relationship going on or even just from the same town and and you know what it's really early in the campaign sometimes and people just want to get on with it and i've often found that sometimes better to do in flashback after a few sessions because coming at it cold people will come up with some ideas and it's all fine and dandy but it tends to be quite backgroundy and it doesn't really matter what they say one way or the other you know let's get into the meat of today's scenario so you know it's weird that the the oldest games in existence 
I don't think they ever ever put anything front and centre about how you were together and and the reason for that might well be that I think the expectation was back in the day that you generated your character on your own before you got to the game that's less true now uh, so, sorry it's not always true in every game but it was certainly the case then uh, and of course you could rock up to tournaments and stuff with half a dozen characters in your back pocket so how would you know any of the other people at the table let alone their characters so I think you know, going way back to the dawn of history that question of like what's the what are these guys doing together either never came up or didn't really matter or it was something you could retcon in later on and I think to a large extent that was fine but it's not terribly sophisticated and some of the more modern scenarios and the modern games like those things you've talked about like having people as a military unit or as a you know survivors of a holocaust banding together because they're the only people who can anything like that i mean you you can build future stories off of those links which is you know generally speaking is going to add a bit more depth than another dimension to your game rather than four random murder hobos going into a hole and seeing what, how much gold they can drag out yeah very true I think uh, one of the games that I find particularly, oh, the one of the series of games was the White Wolf kind of stuff. Because uh, if I take Werewolf for example, I can't, I might get these names wrong with the particular clans or tribes or whatever else. But I think there was there's Black Furies who hated all men. So if someone had one of them, then immediately hated any male members of the party. There was Red Talons who hated all humans. There was Glasswalkers who only really liked going in cities. There was others that only liked going out in the wilderness. And the same sort of thing happened in Vampire as well, with these like, you know, Nosferatu only did sewers, and you've got a Torridor who only go to art galleries. And straight away, the game surely, like, just dividing where your characters are going to be. You, you know, it's hard enough anyway sometimes trying to get people all in the same direction, but it's really hard to have these apparently storyteller games, or storytelling, depending on which edition you have. And the first thing the game tries to do is divide all your players up and put them in different places and not want to talk mm. to each other. Yeah, it's weird, but I had exactly the same experience. I know more about Mage, perhaps, than the other games, but it makes no difference what the White Wolf game was. You have clans, or you have traditions, or as I like to call them in old-fashioned jargon, classes, because that's basically what they were. And unlike the other games with classes, and I know classes are kind of out of fashion now, but I don't care, I like them. Um, but it's all about niche protection, isn't it? And And your classes would meld together like a weird sort of jigsaw to fulfill all of the roles that you would need to deal with situations in front of you and it was a real carryover to see that kind of stuff happening in the white wolf games and um i don't think it's white wolf's fault not at all the books as written expect a different type of play to the one that actually happened um, where people did wander around like superheroes in their trench coats and katanas and uh, and that class stuff was just another reason for people to start doing some PvP in the middle of their game. Um, you know, fair enough if that's what you want to do. But that's, again, I, I just think White Wolf suffered from they never really got the games that they intended to get from their books because you can't do anything about it. Your book once it's out there, people will do what they want. But yeah, party dynamics in any White Wolf game was well doomed to failure if you were setting up missions or scenarios with objectives if actually your mission was to do something a bit more sandboxy or even something super modern where you know you just follow characters around for a day and see what kind of relationships they build then it would actually work just fine but that's not the scenarios that white wolf gave us it was still like hunt down the big bad or you know stick a knife in the back of some elder in some tribunal so maybe it was ahead of its time in lots of different ways i don't know i never got a satisfying party-based game out of anything white wolf 
No, I agree. I think there's a lot of um, a lot of difference between the system, which I think was just of its time, was another basic traditional old-fashioned system, and what they actually wanted to play. Uh, a friend of mine, Rich Stokes, did a, a hack for Hot War, which is all about agendas, hidden agendas, and relationships, and particular traits, uh, and that worked brilliantly for Vampire because that, that was all about that kind of stuff. Um, but in that, in Hot War specifically, it's although con games tend to be PvP to a certain extent because you're trying to burn through a lot of stuff really quickly to keep it down your slot time down. Uh, in a more campaign in inverted commas type game that might last six or eight sessions maybe you can draw that out a little bit and I think part of it is getting that understanding that you're not just trying to kill the other vampire or whatever the the goal of this particular story is you know it's part of it is having the players understand what they're supposed to be doing so if my character's got an agenda of make sure Baz dies I'm not going to try and do that in episode one I'm going to be looking to build things up towards episode eight and see if that gets pulled off and I think that's a shift in a shift in thought patterns perhaps amongst players based on how we were taught to play in D&D whereas if you've got a goal of kill the monster or kill the giant or kill Baz then you just go for it full bore mm. so I think part of trying to get people uh, all working in the same, same direction is having that conversation first of all even if your game system doesn't necessarily support it is just having the, the guys or girls around the tables and say right come on this is what we're all trying to achieve or have a conversation to start with saying what do we want to achieve what sort of game do we want to have and then set that up first I think that is more likely to help you get people working in the same direction than any system or anything like that yeah and you know what there's an old phrase for it never split the party and that's that's really really ancient advice and it's not something that would actually it wouldn't ever be said out loud it's quite a meta thing to say isn't it don't split the party because I don't think D&D adventurers in their world refer to themselves as a party probably and um, and splitting up is often exactly the right thing to do in movies and comics and books it's exactly right because it generates all kinds of tensions and somebody goes down to the swamp on their own and you know what's going to happen to them and whenever anyone says around a game of D&D or any sort of classic F20 game don't split the party it's kind of ironic but we know that their character isn't saying that it's just come on guys let's all stick together because otherwise we're going to make the gm's life a misery and sometimes the gm has to say out loud oh you know come on guys you know i know that two of you want to go off and research in the library and two of you want to go down to the auto shop and two of you want to try and break into the cultist headquarters but that's three different games and there's only one of me and you know and i, I, I want to get a, a tea break too at some point so let's try a different way of keeping you all together and you're right that gets said out of character you know outside of the immersion and outside of the game and like anything don't try and solve in-game problems or out-of-game problems with in-game solutions and if your out-of-game problem is that your people around the table aren't acting as a team you can't solve it in-game by you know crowding them into a a room and locking it (laughs) and making them play nice with each other so yeah there's there's loads of things you can do and sometimes the simplest thing to do as you say is just say it out loud guys can we just stay on script but you're right how do you know what that script is does that come from a first session of generating characters all together so that you you've got some idea where to go what do you think uh yeah i guess another point i just want to add in there is that if you do want to split up uh it can be all right as long as everybody's all right with that so if you've had a conversation first and go okay we're going to do a montage of research in the library and you're going to go off here and you're going to do that 
as long as everybody knows that that means that they're going to be sat out for 20 minutes while they listen to some guys for 10 minutes and then some more guys for 10 minutes and they're fine with that then go for it you know what I mean I think it's just that managing expectations so everybody knows what they're getting so as long as you give all agreed in advance what you're happy with then play however you want but yeah it is getting that agreement first I think you're also right with your one of your earlier points as well saying that we don't really want to um, have too much background and backstory and try and come up with why everybody knows each other in a massive extent before the game you kind of want to see it as it happens at the table and then bits of flashback I think one game that did particularly well in kind of weaving people together is Spirit of the Century mm-hmm. when that was out and you created a journal you had to have a thing that happened to you when someone else was involved now that could last a whole session setting all that up but it did end up with a really nice knitted together group of people you could do a slimmed down version of that quite easily though just kind of um, if you think of Apocalypse World or those sort of games Monster Hearts they tend to have really quick ones so it'll just be a one liner on the sheet that you tick so it'll be someone saved your life who was it alright damn mm. Baz and it'll be okay Baz so who betrayed you and then you write some and his name and you'll just have two or three links to other players or player characters and you don't have to spell all the stuff out or why they betrayed you or what it was just yet we don't need to know that now but I think yeah. having that initial link up gives you the the hook then for later on to explore what happened yeah yeah that works mate fate's really good for that that method of you know speaking to the player on your left and pulling them into your backstory a bit you can make as much or as little out of it as you like i'm with you i think um i think little seeds that can grow into big things later on are the best way to do that and that's not dependent on apocalypse world or fate or anything that's just a a a kind of a group character generation thing you can bolt on in, into any campaign, any scenario that you're doing um, and it will be led as well by that, that situation where the GM's probably got a new shiny book I don't know, it could be Blue Planet version 8 or whatever it might be at some point in the future and they could be saying, listen I've got this game and I've got loads of ideas for campaigns and we could run this in half a dozen different ways, so what do you fancy? And the the characters or the players' answer to that initial question or that initial sales pitch might start bringing people together, whether they're working for one company or they're activists pursuing a single agenda or they're joining the military. But that conversation will start and and the whole group will kind of self-police itself. So, you know, you've got less chance of that lone wolf who's an outsider, who's got nothing to do with what the other four people are talking about if it comes out of the table so I guess one of the methods for making sure that you're on mission is to do your character generation together and I think that's way more common now than it ever used to be Um, clearly a convention game or a one shot is a different kettle of fish although as the person preparing the game you can get all of that done in advance so nobody's really got any choices you know you you are what you are um, but you're going to play your character like a stolen car for four hours um, and and you know and the links will be preset in there. So I mean I know that convention gaming and scenario writing is something you've done absolutely loads of guys. And I, am I right in saying that you spend a bit of time on the relationships, no matter the system, no matter what the what the con is. Yeah, it depends on the game. So something like Hot War, you you kind of hardwire it pretty uh, stringently because that's what the game's going to be about. But I've started doing it with things like Savage Worlds or whatever. Uh, and I've, I've, what I've done more than actually give links is more ask questions so the last couple of savage games I've had each character's got kind of two to four questions on the back of the sheet 
just for the, something to the player to think about and they can pick it up and run with it or not and then again it's that thing of making something of it in play if they want it so you can sort of add in about things about the world and say and what do you think about that and you know your your child's gone missing etc do you care or you know, maybe not something as uh, big as that but you, you just put some hooks in there and if you can try and link them in so that each person's got something that might interlink to someone else's idea then you can sometimes generate some content at the table but it does require on the players looking at it thinking yeah actually I want to answer that question or that gives me a good idea about something I could come up with yeah I, I see that that stuff gets overlooked a lot actually doesn't it I know when you sit down at a con you've got quite a lot to digest and and I've been guilty of offering con games with three-page character sheets. Take my advice, that's not a good idea. Um, you know, A5, half a dozen things on it, and it'll still be too much because uh, it won't all come out at the table. Uh, and sometimes, you know, that stuff you put in about, you know, so-and-so who's two doors down from you around the table, it does get a bit overlooked, doesn't it? Sometimes in the heat of the mission or, or the objective hunting or just trying to figure out who you are. And that's because you might have two PCs who know each other really well maybe they're married as pcs but you've probably got two hairy sweaty blokes who've never met each other before who've got to play those characters and they might be sitting five feet away in a noisy room it's not always easy to get that stuff translated at the table but i still think it's worth going for and it's definitely worth going for a kind of like you know what is what is your party for want of a better term what are they doing um and the military stuff is so good for that isn't it because then you've got scenarios built into it as well it's like here's your orders and there isn't going to be any massive amount of bargaining or opting out because there is a fear of opting out of scenarios which i think is probably a bit overblown because you know real players won't rock up to a game with a gm and refuse to play i wouldn't have thought but it gets mentioned a lot if you've got a military game yeah if you've got a military game it's like if you don't you don't do it well then it's the brig for all of you and that's the end of game for everyone yeah i think one good technique you can you can use in there is to um give people different ideas about the same thing so if you've got uh the captain or whoever the leader of the group is is quite forthright and you know strong-willed or pig-headed you can give a, a one-liner on one sheet saying uh, Captain Mannering's an absolute bastard. Why won't he look after his men? Why is he always running off into danger? And another guy, you put on his sheet something along the lines of like, thank God Mannering knows what he's doing. He's always got the answer, blah, blah, blah. Mm. So you can have a, a trait for a character so the person playing knows what they're doing. And then you can give two different flavours of that trait to two different other characters. So that as soon as Captain Mannering says, right, we're going to do this, one player will be saying, yeah, that's amazing. The other guy will be saying, well, why do we have to go there? Have you even thought about this? And straight away, there's some sort of... It, I mean, it can lead to PvP if it goes too far, but that sort of just having a difference of opinion at the table can get a bit of interest going up. And it's like, well, why, it, it can always, almost make one player say, so like, why are you always following him? Or another player saying, well, why do you always argue with everything we do? And why can't we just get on with it? Why are you always griping the ranks? And little bits like that can, can sort of sometimes fire off little stories of their own. Yeah, that's that's a great technique, and yeah, sometimes it doesn't, like you say, mate. But you can always take that out to the NPCs, can't you? Apocalypse World suggests that forming little triangles out of everything, so that you've got like a a third party uh, in every little relationship. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all of that stuff is good, and it's it's system neutral, isn't it? You can do it in anything, um, and there's really no reason why you wouldn't, especially if you've got the time and the luxury to be prepping up all the characters in advance for a con or whatever. I've yeah. got um. Sorry, guys, go ahead, mate. No, I was, I was going to sort of move 
slightly left field from there uh, and suggest uh, some of the issues that might come up or one of them in particular I was thinking of OSR gaming um, and it's one I've, I've seen from looking at some of the blogs and, and G plus posts and stuff like that and uh, some people have an attitude of kind of you know your character dies what's all the hand ringing about just make a new one and get on with your game so obviously those people and groups don't have a problem with their people sticking together it's just another 8th level wizard turns up and they carry on like they did before like nothing's happened mm. share gold equally and all the rest of it so they can't understand why people will be upset when the character dies because they'll just roll another one um, but other players uh, probably myself included might not get on as well with that or might need the sort of like in my immersive space for there to be a bit more explanation or it might feel quite dry and I have had a couple of campaigns grind to a halt where just one character died and that's kind of ruin the dynamic so I don't know if it's an OSR thing it could be across the board but what do you think on that Baz when you've got just one or two characters die is it as easy just to plug someone new in or how do you how do you handle yeah. that situation yeah I mean character death is probably worth a podcast of its own isn't it but um, but essentially I think I think it is an OSR thing not necessarily OSR systems but it's an OSR style of play isn't it yeah. um, you know one of one of the best things about the OSR is that death is very very present save or die is another old-fashioned saying it's there for a reason and that's absolutely fine because it's the work of one minute to generate a new character and i think people often forget how those two things have to go hand in hand if you've got a really lethal system um, and it takes you an hour and a half to generate your character that's a really bad mismatch um, but and if it's you know with the osr games it's perfectly acceptable or it was at least it's a style thing to write a will for your character and you might be playing Olaf the swordsman and then when you die along comes your brother Bolaf the swordsman who looks a lot like you and all of a sudden he picks up your backpack and it's full of his <laughs> gold and he carries on um, and when he's killed his sister Solaf shows up <laughs> you just add another consonant to the front of your character sheet and crack on and you know what that's fine and and that led to video games for goodness sake so maybe it's not fine but that, that's just respawning isn't it um, but what does it mean to the party well do you know what I think there's loads you can do by applying just a little bit of thought and I'm not the only one who's done this millions of people have done this and better than I ever will but just thinking about what is going on in this fantasy world of people wandering around as strangers um, sticking daggers in kobolds and trying to spend their gold um, and if, as soon as you start thinking about the implications on the fantasy world do you know what I think you get a much richer experience if you start to think of what an adventurer's guild might really be if you start thinking about fighters in the way that we think about rock stars in our world because I think that's what they would be um, and we always bang on about how Earthdawn does everything right but it does and it includes legends includes legend points and, and stop me if I've got this wrong guys but doesn't your do your legend points take a bit of a hit if somebody in your in your group dies or leaves I think there's something like that where you can form a group pattern that's it yeah you can you get an impact on your group pattern if someone from the because your pattern gets broken because someone dies so yeah, it that's impact. it. Yeah, so you could do all of that. You can do as much or as little as you want with that OSR stuff, and I think it is just playstyle. And you know what, paranoia does all of that. And people play Call of Cthulhu with a "let's go as mad as I can, as quick as I can." I, I don't think it's much to do with 
with the the game system it's to do with the kind of style that you want to play where the where the characters are disposable and in some ways you can do that brilliantly well because call of cthulhu you can play at world war one where you're in the trenches and then you know being disposable is another theme to the game not just a convenience so yeah i think you could do it with anything mate really i, I think death is is a question to be answered in any game that you're going to play what it does to your group you can either address it or not address it you know it's the same as how we opened up isn't it with do you ask the question of why you were together if you don't care don't bother asking just play if it's a big deal to you make something out of it get some stories out of it yeah I think there's um, a couple of things I mean one of thing I saw on the forums quite recently which I found quite curious uh, was a game designer saying he'd made his game with a, a roll up system rather than a points buy because points by leads to division because some players will be better at it than others some make superior characters so other characters will be left behind other players will be and I just find it really curious that there's still that perception out there that players are just kind of like like you said earlier like just trying to be sat there in the bedroom making their own character up and make a superior one and not help anyone out around the table it happens mate it really happens I'm afraid you know <laughs> um, maybe not in the corners of gaming that, that you've been inhabiting you've been a lucky man recently uh, I think it absolutely does happen and there are still you know the, the really big busy character sheet games like your Pathfinders the stuff like that or anything with organised play don't forget as well um, the, the building your character and, and rolling up your character is, is a hobby all of itself um, and with the stuff you can get online to help you with that as well, showing off your builds is just as big a deal as it ever was. In fact, if anything, it's even easier to do. There's there's whole communities devoted to like coming up with, you know, we used to call them min-maxers, I suppose, didn't you? And I've done it myself in the past. We've all done it, really, whether we admit to it or not. But it's there, and it's a viable thing. What What makes it weird for the purposes of today's topic is what happens when these five kind of extreme PCs all rock up together and somehow you've got to concoct a reason for them to do anything together that doesn't involve like you know just a, a huge reservoir dog style standoff straight away for the biggest magic item that anyone have brought so you know sometimes that doesn't matter people usually go along with with the conceit of the game don't they like you know if you if you drop a plot hook in front of them unless you really are playing extreme sandbox stuff when you give a plot hook out I've never known players to ignore it or walk away from it I don't know maybe you have yeah I have <laughs> oh dear <laughs> We've, everyone's got their own problems <laughs> yeah I've had quite a lot it, it's slightly disappointing in conventions but you've normally got some other people who pick the baton up and run with it so that's not so bad I have had a couple of home groups sometimes with like really weird behaviour like uh, the GM was trying to draw someone into some subplot involving these goblins and the player decided that he hated goblins, so he you know, refused to help. And it was oh. there'd been no indication of this beforehand. There'd been no talk of it or foreshadowing or anything on his character sheet. He just suddenly decided to see this plot hook turned up. He didn't want to know about it. Mm. And uh, a little bit later, an envoy came with like you know some scribbled parchment with a seal on it and going, "No, you know, we'd like to give you this." He just threw it straight in the fire without looking at it. And it's kind of like. <laughs> <laughs> you're trying really hard not to play this game what's wrong with you but the, the thing I found really curious about that sort of behaviour was the player then didn't have anything they wanted to do it, you know it's quite a sandbox it's like okay so mm. where are you going to go Where, where's your your night travelling next and he didn't have an answer so I, I found that just baffling that someone was turning down plot but then had no thoughts at all on what they wanted to do 
were just quite happy to yeah. sit there and wait for something else to turn up until it pleased them perhaps but yeah that, that group came to a halt fairly quickly yeah, I guess if we're looking for like player groups, you're looking for like um, common interests, aren't you? you know, what's the one thing the group has got in common? And at its absolute basis level, it should be that everybody wants to play the game they've sat down to play. I know that's a bit meta as well, but you know, no matter what your game is, you've had real life people vote with their feet and come to your table to then not want to engage with that on any level, whether as player, which we've talked about before, where people fallen asleep or you know being really bored in a game of their choosing or as a character which is that you know refusal to get involved I don't know where that comes from I think maybe some of it is an aversion to risk which is something I'll never understand with a game of the imagination it really doesn't hurt when you get stabbed with a sword in a, an imaginary game <laughs> you know it doesn't uh, <laughs> you'll be fine um, uh, but but some of it is just a it's, it's I want to play a loner or someone a little bit out there or someone a bit eccentric so what I'm going to do is something slightly outrageous quite early on I don't know is it a weird kind of showboating because it never impresses me and I've done it myself <laughs> yeah I find it there seems to be some um, like fairly harmless in this grand scheme of things behavior but sometimes it's just kind of uh, one player wants to show another or one player character wants to show the character up let's put it that way but a player will you know mm. trip someone up or you know spoil the chances of seducing the maiden or whatever it might be and you kind of think why are you deliberately trying to make this thing not happen why are you blocking play because I think if there's anything that's not going to help your, your harmony of your group it's when someone's actually trying to take action in the game and do something and your only action is to try and stop something happening because that seems just totally counterproductive to why you're there. Surely you want stuff to happen and perhaps interesting yeah. complications to come out of it. The the worst outcome at all is nothing happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not the worst for everyone. It's the worst as, as a GM worth their salt trying to get something going on. But there's plenty of players will take that option. It's like, you know, diving for safety. Um, and and that's, that's considered as a, a play style by some as a win. Uh, literally a win we will win this scenario if we don't die or get taken prisoner or whatever if we survive to the end then we're winning which is i i don't i don't really get it but i've seen it enough to think that that it's not just a one-off there's plenty of people who like to play that way but then you know i've run a million games of D&D where people want to show up and play a pacifist and i'm just thinking are you sure you've you know what game you signed up for here because um i've got a dragon in a dungeon and uh, he ain't a pacifist so <laughs> there's only going to be one winner from that confrontation not that you're going to seek to avoid it clearly but you know <laughs> it happens all the time um or people want to be you know just blend into the background um that's kind of weird uh in that particular game but there are, you know, there are other things that you could do. There are other types of group you could put together. And as usual, it comes down to the fact that people have either signed up for the wrong system or they haven't said out loud what they want, maybe because they don't know what they want. Like when you're trying to organise a group of mates to go out to a restaurant and you say, where do you want to go? And everyone says, I don't mind. And then you pick somewhere and nobody likes it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that can happen in role-playing games all the time. Sin it happen. Yeah, absolutely. I think the other odd one that I, I do see, and this comes down to that niche protection thing, which we should arguably talk about a little bit. But if yeah. you've got a, a fighter, thief, and magic user, then when it comes to picking a log, you let the thief do it. Or, you know, mm-hmm. maybe the wizard's got his uh, 
a spell that automatically breaks locks, but at that point, you're kind of taking something away from your thief and what's he for? Uh, and I find it uh, a behaviour that I've seen anyway is that sometimes there'll be one character who's got first aid at 20, another character's got first aid at 5, but someone says, Can you heal me? And the guy with five jumps in first to try and do it because he's got a number on his sheet. Mm. There doesn't seem to be any kind of uh, party consistency sometimes in people saying, like, Well, we would know amongst us who's the best at laying on hands or who's best with herbs or whatever it is. So surely that should be John that does that. Some people just seem to want to have a go if they can to get the most uh, face time possible or to do the most stuff. Uh, and I don't know whether sometimes people perhaps are just looking again in that kind of like make my character my bedroom on my own way of what can I do and what am I good at and how can I get involved and perhaps we sometimes need to encourage that kind of group thinking not just on a player level who's got the best skill but in terms of as a group of adventurers you would know that this person's the best at that so you can make sure that Dave's not going to get an infection and lose his arm or whatever it is yeah that's absolutely bang on mate there's there's a bunch of games who address that issue really specifically and really quite well these days but just to sort of i guess echo and amplify your point a little bit that that well i mean the wizard always gets to do everybody else's role after a while that's what wizards are for (laughs) they make everything completely redundant but i quite like class-based games they fell out of favour for absolutely ages we were talking about point by earlier and that sort of thing but i like class-based games because you know you can get away with in those sort of things saying i am a that does b um and that could be something like deadlands which does have classes despite it it really not going all in on it you know it's still got hucksters and shaman and stuff like that and and that's enough to get going isn't it you know i am a huckster from georgia it's good yep got it right let's play um as opposed to any kind of gurp scenario where you've kind of really got to tell people what you're playing because you haven't got necessarily anything to hang your character on in a really simple templated way so i think class games are great and i'm kind of glad to see them back in a way and they've come back in lots of different ways in any any sort of game that does playbooks so the apocalypse world games and, and all of the spin-offs from that and the interesting thing about those playbooks is um it might be different in different games but in the original game you can only have one of each you can't double up around your table which is really interesting it's not something i advocate in in old classic dnd i quite like parties where everyone's a thief where they all turn out that way anyway but it's really interesting in say dungeon world that literally only one player can be the thief and because you don't have a big stack of skills you'll never encounter that issue of our master thief has failed his role so let's go around the table and everybody have a go which oh it makes me want to pull my brain out my ears and throw it on the floor but you know it's a really nice system way of totally avoiding that because first of all there's only one thief so you're going to ask the thief to step up and second of all when the thief fails in those games you don't get to have another go because something monstrous has just happened to you because you've not rolled high enough and then everybody is involved in looking at every dice roll so there's ways around that issue mate and modern games have solved it yeah I think to, to a degree my, my probably caveat to the apocalypse world thing is and monster hearts and several others is that uh, when you level up as happens frequently one of the things you can do is start picking things from other people's playbooks yeah so I that's forgot about that and that's, I wouldn't that spoils it, it. as a personal choice I would yeah. never do that yeah but then I never multi-classed back in D&D either uh, I never did that you know I'm a magic user thief cleric what, what's the point of that I think you could, I think you should be defined as much by what you can't do as what you can. 
that always adds value for me yeah I think so so I, I feel we may have drifted a little bit what apart from having a conversation with, with your group and finding out that you're on the same page and all trying to play the same game uh, what else can we do to try and keep people to encourage people to go down the same path then I guess is what we're trying to say is, are there extra yeah. bits we can hand out as I think we discussed in an earlier podcast about not necessarily laying down the law but it's providing those encouragements for things to happen so it certainly helped in, in Earth Donors we'll, we harp on about but that had its group pattern so we, if mm. everybody bought into this thing and put some XP into it then they all got extra powers and that sort of stuff so that just encouraged people to stay together and, and was mechanically beneficial to do it and if you broke the pattern then there was a penalty for doing that as well so that that's one way of doing it but can you think of anything else that encourages people to stick together yeah I mean there's there's a couple of games um, there's one it's not that new anymore but it was it was really interesting when I saw it and I, and I do a bit of game designing on the side as we all do and I always try to include something along these lines uh, as a mechanic and that is that you've got all of your individual players playing player characters but you've also got another character which is the character of the group so the the party for want of a better term has its own character sheet and the game I first saw that really used hard was in Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, the third edition, the one that didn't go down too well, I, I think, with the pay in public, but it's the one with all the cards and all the tokens and, you know, massively exotic and and slightly expensive pieces of kit. So it was one that Fantasy Flight Games did anyway. Yeah. And uh, it's absolutely glorious to look at, and I played more than a few games of it, and it's you know, for various reasons they didn't continue, but it's nothing to do necessarily with the gameplay itself. But one of the really cool bits was you could pick a card for your party, and it was a little character sheet card, and it physically sat in the middle of the table, and you could chuck some fate points onto it, and it would store some resources. I'm not sure if it kept gold or anything like that, but you know like when you've got your party treasure, it's somewhere to physically put it. And the party card had its own characteristics. So you could choose to be hardened mercenaries. And I won't have the words exactly right, but they're all something like this. Or you could be debauched nobles. And just those two examples would give you a completely different flavour to some of the stuff that you would do. So you could still have your dwarf, your elf, your halfling and your human around the table. But depending on the party card that they picked would totally flavor everything they did and it handed out advantages for when you did stuff for your group and it's such a simple thing to do to have that fifth or sixth character sheet in the middle of the table i use it in most of the t things i ever try and do with fate you can do a fate character sheet for your party so if you imagine the five members or the four members of the a team and then you've got like a character sheet for the a team as a whole and it's like extra resources that you can pull from and it's something that can be attacked as well you think about any superhero team and supers is a brilliant example of what to do with team play um, you know they can be they can leave and they can come back and they can form new teams but they generally seem to fold back into the same kind of motifs again it works really well for that so Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay third edition of all things has has generated a really interesting concept that I haven't seen used in many other games outside of it, and I think it could be and probably should be. Yeah, that's pretty good. I think there's to go back to the the world of darkness games. They started introducing stuff where players could, I think, could pull background points, so it didn't necessarily help going forward. I don't think, or maybe it did. I can't recall now. It was several decades ago. 
But yeah, there's a, there's a good idea that you, you invested rather than in your particular character. You, you all came up with a lair or a base or whatever it was, uh, and that was quite a good mechanic. It's just uh, it, it's, <laughs> it's almost like getting a group of guys together and deciding now they're going to decorate the house or something like that to a certain degree. <laughs> but it, it did have that kind of feel to it that if if they had something they could invest in together, that people seem to really enjoy that element of it. Which I think yeah, yeah. might be what's missing from some of the sort of D and D based games where you are murder hobos because you're wandering around to different dungeons. I think some of the more fruitful games of that that type that I've had are where you have uh, a keep or you know you have, you have a local town or, a, or whatever it is, or you've got taken over some house or something like that. I think I remember from RuneQuest at one point you kind of got the opportunity to buy a house and pay this one of the abandoned ones, and once you've actually got some kind of sense of home and feeling that does keep people together a lot more than just a group of randoms wandering around the countryside I think yeah yeah the, the classic example of that is Traveller you know if, if one of your characters gets a ship in character generation that's your base yeah. um, and, and you tend to this is why Firefly works you know that's a Traveller game isn't it and, yeah. and I think you know everybody knows that it is including a creator so that's well known um, but that that does a really good job of pulling together a difficult genre. We've spoken before about how difficult sci-fi can be to get started. Um, but if you want to be a starship crew, that's almost as good as being in the military, isn't it? And it works for pirate crews, and it works for, you know, essentially you think about the dynamic groups that you have in real life. You tend to know people because you're either in a, in a physical blood relationship with them, family, um, siblings, stuff like that, or you work with them and work as a unit of getting people together works across most genres and a starship crew is a is a job and if you're always a few credits away from from safety or security then well you know guess what just like real life you either try harder or you get a new job and um that's that's a pretty good motivator and, and a starship is you know a fantastic opportunity to rip bits off of it and blow it up and take it over and do all of that stuff and, and going back to the previous example of warhammer roleplay 3 you know why shouldn't the starship have a have a character sheet and or your the base in the example that you were using and that should be in the middle of the table and the four or five character sheets should all sort of feed into it and feed off of it as well It'd be a really nice sort of hub of the wheel and all the spokes lead out to every pc i think that's a nice idea and i think it's underutilized but uh, and definitely sci-fi could really really use it um, when I've played Fate sci-fi, that's been the best way of getting everybody together, um, because otherwise sci-fi games struggle to get off the ground. I think without those links. Yeah, I think that's a very good point, Baz. Yeah, I, I don't know whether we can. I suppose it's, it's a bit of a balance as to how much you invest in that and whether some people care or not. I guess, but yeah, having anything that unifies the group together it, it might not necessarily be a physical thing it might be an ideal or uh, I remember a, a game of Hellfrost we played uh, a couple of years ago and we were all Hearth Knights which is kind of a, a background option you can take to give you a couple of advantages in that game but that just made a whole difference then in terms of we then had some people to look after in terms of as we increased in the ranks then we got new recruits or that sort of thing and then we had to go up to reclaim some part of the north and then refit out this sort of fortress bit that had been abandoned long ago all that kind of good stuff uh, and then we sort of accumulated followers through the game as well and then another story kind of came out of that in terms of um, AK's character started getting amorous with one of my followers which I then immediately got really sort of paternal about <laughs> told him to sort of back off I was just trying to protect my follower from another PC's advantage and that uh, advantage sorry so all that kind of stuff just came out of having some 
common goal that we're all part of this team and work related as you say I think mm. it's it, a, a funny thing the conversation I had with one of my colleagues at work recently was kind of we've, we've decided we've got a team for when the zombie apocalypse happens so if <laughs> it's angel yeah <laughs> if it occurs during working hours we already know who we're taking with us and who's getting left behind <laughs> we've established people's <laughs> skills and that sort of thing but and you know another aspect of it was you know, if if there was a plane crash and it was just our team on a desert island, like how, how would we go about living apart from it turning Lord of the Flies very quickly? Mm. You just look at some of the people around you. So, but you know in that situation you probably would have to crack on. So it, it might. I don't think it has to be that the the player characters all have to get on superbly. They just have to get no. on in a working relationship, don't they? And there's going to be niggles and complaints, and if someone can't keep up on the route march, they're going to get moaned at and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Absolutely, and that goes back to your other point, mate, about you know don't be a complete dick in a game because you know that we you have niggles and struggles and dynamics and people you get on with and people you don't get on with, and that that's called life. And you take that into your role playing scenario. The trouble is that people take those little niggles in PvP and they escalate them to murderous violence within seconds. And you know don't do that because you wouldn't get away with it at work <laughs> in real life. And there's a reason why it happens because you need these people around you to support you because you know no PC is an island. Um despite the people who want to play snipers and wolverine all the time. You, you, you it's a group activity, so you have to make allowances for that fact. Uh, but you've said it mate, you know, you need to say that stuff out loud to the person not try and drum it into them through some kind of in-game incentive or punishment for for not being a good player um yeah you can do that but it's the slow route instead just slap your hand on the table and say stop it let keep the party together don't kill everyone <laughs> or yet at least you know we've got three hours to go in this con game yeah yeah <laughs> quite. okay so I, I guess we're sort of like you know coming to the sort of summary part now so um you know there's parties have been around since the beginning um, uh, and they kind of had to be because that's one of the things about the hobby is you get a, a bunch of people together and classes were a great way of kind of spreading that load and giving that niche protection but you know they may have come back a little bit in the playbook style but I think a lot of the stuff we've said this before that was advice for the DM in the 70s is now instructions for the GM in the 2000s and plenty of games kind of make it compulsory or a step in character generation to to pull your team together and if it's not in the system it's often in the scenario where you might be working for an intelligence agency or you might be members of the same band or you might be a crew of a bomber yeah all of those kind of reasons but staying on target and staying on mission which used to be something that smart parties did is now something that that games tell you has got to happen because otherwise you've got an incoherent mess of conflicting agendas and we're all playing vampire again and we didn't even realize it i think it's um yeah it says we've said a few times now these podcasts it's about getting people on the same message isn't it and if, if you do want to have a a messy game of vampire or then use hot war or you know pick a game where that stuff happens and that's what the mission is and then you will be staying on mission but yeah if you're playing something a bit more traditional or uh, of, of the cooperative mold then just get everybody to say in advance we're all going to get on with it ultimately I think you need to sometimes have just those little indications or something you can flag up for when people have been chatting too long about something I know GMs can sometimes get antsy because the players seem to be having too much fun without them and then you feel left out and you want to kind of get involved so you just need a flag I think or a way of uh, getting on with the game when you want to move it along a little bit but as long as everyone's having fun that's the main thing 
yeah exactly and people can have plenty of fun without being in a group like, like i think we started this this whole conversation by saying you know it's only a problem if it's a problem if if you want to be meta about it and say look we're just together because we are there is a a dungeon to explore or a mystery to solve or a world to conquer then that's fine let's get on with it yeah? and make it about the objective and not about the team but i don't think it ever hurts it's it's more than just salt and pepper in the game if you've got those connections you've got like a bit of team camaraderie you've got reasons to do more than just loot the body when your comrade falls but carry it back behind lines because that's the right thing to do then i think you've got a richer game for that experience because you know it might be your body that needs carrying out next time so for no other reason than that you want to if you want to give a svolaf your sister a chance to take over from olaf you've got to get the body back behind lines yeah okay well i think that's uh that's me done for today baz unless you have any other final thoughts no i think that's about it i mean cheers to ralph for asking the question it's a good one i think we got you i think we've answered it um i would love to hear what other people have got to say about this uh, and they can get in touch with us in the usual way through the forums and um you know, if we ever get around to getting ourselves an email address, we'll pop that up there as well so that um, people can get in touch. But we love your comments. So, yeah, um, yeah, for this one, I'm done, guys. Excellent, yeah. Uh, so as Baz has said, if you've got any thoughts, comments or questions, fire them along. Seeing sort of blog posts pop up as well about stuff we've talked about, anything to generate more talk about games because we love them. Uh, and with that, I'll sign off for this week and we'll see you next time on What Would The Smart Party Do?